Thanks for joining us at the Liberty City Podcast. Liberty City values each person's unique experience with faith, and we hope that this word impacts you today. Hey everybody online, welcome to Liberty City. Hey, this is the comfiest campus you will ever be a part of um, because you're at home. So I encourage you today, kick up your feet, grab a notepad, get engaged. God has a word for you today. All right. Um, our, our titled series is called Worst Case Scenario, and I want to tell you a story. This is a family favorite of ours. It's called the Fox Story, and it's a little embarrassing. Um, it started when my dad was putting me to bed, and I was a little terrified. He could see it all over my face. He goes, Mike, what's the problem here? And I said, Dad, there's foxes. And he goes, foxes, yeah. And I go, yeah, 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 Dad, the, uh, there, there's foxes in the bedroom. And, you know, the lights were turned down low. I got my little night light. I'm all set up. Um, yeah, there's, there's foxes in, in the bedroom. And my dad goes, um, all right, all right. Thinking, how do I debunk this, this story? Uh, how did the foxes get in, into the bedroom, Mike? I said, Dad, I was a creative kid big imagination. They took the ladder from behind the garage, walked it around the house, set it up against the house, climbed up the ladder with their little bitty hands, lifted up the window and jumped in the room. Now, we don't know if there was foxes in the room or not, and that's still the big debate we have, but um, it, it, it's funny that our minds, even as kids, we, we jump to the worst case scenarios. And as we get older, we do the exact same thing. And maybe our stories get a little more realistic, but they don't ever become a whole lot more probable. Um, bow your heads with me. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, just thank you so much for this Sunday. We thank you so much for your presence and all that you're doing in us, Lord God. As we focus today on the promises of God, we pray that you'll reveal them to us, Lord God. Speak to our spirit, speak to our mind. Um, let us walk in the promises that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you have your Bible with you, uh, that's Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is, is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. These are the promises of God. God has designed you for a purpose. You are made for a reason. You're not here just to float through the earth. Well, maybe you do float day, day by day, but um, that is not the calling that God has for you. He has something so much more for you. And when you're living your best life, um, everything about you is giving glory to God. Um, I want to talk to you today about a shepherd boy. His name is David. Um, Old Testament David became king. Spoiler alert, but um, David in his early years was just a shepherd. His dad, Papa Jesse, 
um, would send them out to the field. And, and now this isn't a field like you would, uh, you would have here in Ottawa. It wouldn't it be as flat and it wouldn't be as safe. You couldn't look out the back window. You know, Papa Jesse couldn't go back and, and look on David just to see if everything was fine. No, David is just a young boy was sent out with the sheep into the field, over the back country, through the wilderness, um, back, back side of the mountain. He was called to bring these sheep from field to field, places where they could graze. But in these places, he was alone. He'd often be there for days on end, and he was alone. And, and, and the Bible tells us that oftentimes a lion or a bear would come, some sort of beast would come and try to steal one of the sheep. Now, David just being a boy, it was his expectation, it was why his father sent him out there, was to protect the sheep at all costs. He would have to fight the lion, the bear, with whatever he had, and bring back the sheep. And the Bible says that he was actually victorious in this. He was trained, when no one else was watching, how to take down beasts. One day when he was out in the shepherd's field, somebody came running to him and said, David, David, <clears throat> there's an old man at the house. You got to get back there. He's not going to sit down until you make it. Okay, I'm paraphrasing this story, so please read it and, uh, and, and get, get, get the verse-by-verse -verse context. But David, you need to get back to the house. Old man wants to see you. <clears throat> David runs back to the house. And as soon as the old man's name is, is, is Samuel, he's a prophet of the Lord, and he was called to, to Papa Jesse's house to look at his sons and decide which one the Lord was going to anoint king. Now, when, when Samuel was to see the boy that was going to be called king, God would speak to him and say, this is the one, anoint him with oil. He had a horn full of oil. Um, so, so David rushes back to the house. And finally, Samuel was like, yes, this is the one. This is the one that God has spoken about. He will be king of all of Israel. This is the promise that David had on his life. God had promised him right there in that place that he would be king. Now the promises of God may not always be as visible as they were for David. I mean, it, sure, if an old man shows up your, at your house and, and pours oil on your head um, and, and speaks to you that you're going to be king, maybe that's something we need to, to talk about uh, offline. But um, God is speaking to you. Rest assured, God is speaking to you. God has created you for a purpose. It's interwoven into who you are, and he has a purpose for your life, the promises of God. And I want you to be rooted in those things. The, the Colossians said, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, not on the earthly gains, uh, gains but what has God created you for? Okay, Psalms 55, 22 in the New King's Version says, Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, <clears throat> cast your burdens on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Sustain you. What does that mean? I looked up the definition of sustain, and it says to strengthen or support both physically or mentally. To strengthen or support both physically or mentally. So when you cast your burdens on God, in exchange, what is God giving you? He's He's there to sustain you, to strengthen you both physically and mentally. Now, it also says, he shall never permit the righteous to be moved. When you have the promises of God on your life and giant shows up at your door, 
you'll be able to take them down because you know what God has called you for. You'll know that God is with you and you'll be able to cast that burden upon him and he'll give you the strength both mentally and physically to take down the giant. Now, another spoiler alert, this is what happened in David's life. See, it was a tumultuous time for, for the Israelite army. They were camped out um, across from the Philistine army. Now, the two were at war and this was a time when all the men <clears throat> were sent out to fight. The Philistine armies had one, one big general. <clears throat> His name was Goliath. You know the story. Biggest, baddest dude out there. And every morning he would get up. He would have his sword, he'd have his shield, he'd have his spear, start banging and clanging, making the noise and mocking the Israelite army. The deal was that if anybody could beat Goliath, then all the Philistines would be the subjects of Israel, servants to them. All right, but if, but if Goliath could beat any of their men, then the Philistines would become subjects. How did that work? Yeah, if Goliath beats you, you become Goliath's subjects, okay? But if you beat Goliath, then the Philistines will be your servants, okay? So uh, David was called to bring a picnic basket down to his brothers at the front lines. Now, now the picnic basket, let's say, uh, had some meat, some cheese, you know, you know, all the goodies. These things were made to sustain his brothers. He was delivering them to his older brothers at the battlefield so that they would be strong for when they were going to fight. But God had a bigger plan, like Psalms 55, 22. Um, the, the, the burden that went before the Israelite army um, was cast upon the Lord, and, and the God was sending David to sustain all of Israel. Um, even though Papa Jesse thought he was just sending a picnic basket to help out his brothers, God was sending David to sustain the entire Israelite army. So David shows up, and sure enough, it's a time when Goliath's out there banging and clanging, mocking the Israelite army. Now David's just a boy. He didn't show up with a sword, a spear, or any armor. He showed up with a picnic basket and a sling. Now, now he hears that the Goliath is mocking his people. Now, when I say his people, the promises of God on David's life was that he was going to be king. And although he was probably the smallest person in that entire army at that moment, he was going to be king over all of them. And when he was looking at the situation, he's thinking, this is pretty bleak. There's a lot of soldiers here, but nobody in my army is stepping up to fight the giant. But David's fought in grizzlies. David's fought in bears. He knows that with God on his side and the promises that God is going to see him as king one day, nothing's going to take him down. So when Goliath comes out and starts mocking him, David does the same thing. David starts to get that little, ooh, little bit of loose, you know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and he's no longer David. He's, he's alter ego, Connor McDavid. He, he starts to get even chirpy. He goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would, that he would mock the army of the living God? And now, <clears throat> granted, he needs to work on his, on his smack talk a little bit. I mean, I don't know too many people who would make fun of a giant's manhood, but all right, you know, he, he's getting somewhere, you know, he, he's starting to count um, the, the prize before he even takes down the giant. He starts looking at everybody, but he says, what's going to be done for the man who kills this giant? And, and, and some of the people there said, well, the, the king said that, uh, that he'll give you one of his daughters 
to be wed to. You, you'll, have, you'll get to marry one of the king's daughters. You'll become royalty. Yeah, but David's a boy, right? And I can imagine he's just like, girls got cooties. What else you got for me? And then, and then somebody else says, look, your family's going to be, um, not have to pay taxes forever and always. Yeah, but, but I'm just a boy and I watch sheep and I don't get an allowance, so that's not really going to help me. Why should I get up and fight him? And, and David looks left and right and he sees all of his people. He sees the people he's going to be king over. And he says, that's enough for me. I'm going to take down that giant. He tried on the spear. He tried the sword, the armor, all of it didn't fit. He wasn't big enough to even carry it. He said, I'm going to fight the giant the way that I know how. The way that I've taken down both grizzly and both lion. With the word of God on my heart and the sling in my pocket, giant's going to fall. And that's exactly what he did. He went down to the riverbed, picked up three stones, swung one in the air, and took down the giant. The promises of God were on David's life. He knew what God was going to call him to do. And what I want from you today is to understand that God has a call for your life. He has a promise and he's created you for something so much more. If you have never heard the voice of God, you haven't had that, that spirit in you that says, I know that I know that I know what I'm called to do for the kingdom of God, then I challenge you to do two things. One, pray. Say, God, <clears throat> I haven't heard your voice in a long time, or maybe I've never heard your voice before, but I want you to reveal what you have in store for me, what you've called me to and who you've called me to be. Second, <clears throat> I want you to get around some leaders within the church, people you trust, mentors, God-fearing people who can begin to speak into your life, begin to give prophecy. Um, <clears throat> this is something that we're accustomed to do even on our leadership board. Even at the last leadership meeting, Pastor Nadia spoke to me. <clears throat> she said um, this exact prophecy over my life and, and it spoke to me in such a powerful way. She said, um, you spent so much time plowing the field and getting it ready. There's going to come a day when you're going to look down into your basket, reach for the seed, and it's not going to be there. You're going to look at the ground, and, and the seed has already been planted. This is a word that stuck with me, and, and it's been a powerful, and, and it's lined up with so many things that other people have spoken, and, and it's lined up with the word that God's given me, and, and it, it sits in such a place that I know that I know what God is calling me to do in my life. And now that might mean nothing for you. Um, you might get the word table, or you might get the word uh, light, or God might be speaking to you in, in subtle hints and subtle verses, and, or he might be speaking to you through, through some of the people in your life. Um, but whatever it is and however he's speaking to you, it's going to sink in and you're going to know what God's calling you to do. He, you're going to know who he's called you to be. So um, take a minute. Let's pray. All right. Father God, as we speak about the promises that you have in store for us, Lord God, pray that you would reveal, Lord God, for those who have never heard your voice, Father God, never heard the promises that you have in store for them, Lord God, begin to reveal that as they seek 
you, Father. And I pray for those um, who know the promises over their life that you continue to reveal again and again. Remind them, strengthen them, support them, and sustain them in the promises that you have for them. And we pray that each time we face a giant, Father God, that we've cast that burden upon you, Lord God. You will sustain us. You will strengthen us both physically and mentally for the challenges of each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, up next is Caleb. He's got a great word for you. Stay tuned and be blessed. See ya. Good morning, everybody. My name is Caleb Grunewag. I'm here to share the word with you. I'm so excited. And we're going to be continuing and actually finalizing our series on worst case scenario. And if you've been following along for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through what it means to uh, be a people who think differently, um, to not be a people who overthink, overworry, overprocess, but to set our minds on things above. And in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We have an invitation, and we've had an invitation over these last few weeks to raise our thoughts, to have a new cycle of thinking, to set our minds on things above. And I'm going to go through a story this morning that I believe is going to help us continue to set our minds on things above. And it's in 2 Kings 6. We're going to be jumping to the Old Testament. We're going to be picking it up in verse 8 if you've got your Bibles. And it's a great story of a guy that I love named Elisha, who's a prophet of God. Um, he was Elijah's apprentice, and he's got some great stories. I encourage you to, to dive into his life. He's got some great stuff in there. And it says in verse 8, When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, My camp will be at such and such a place. Now, king, the king of Aram, Hazael, was a bad guy. He, he wasn't good. But the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Now, Elisha was a good guy, and the king of Israel was a good guy. Be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king of Israel, so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aram was enraged by this matter, and he called his servants and demanded them, Tell me which one of you is for the king of Israel. So Elisha is getting words from God, telling the king of Israel where the king of Aram was going to be. And so the king of Aram was obviously frustrated because there's this advantage that the king of Israel has that he doesn't have because he can't find the guy because Elisha keeps warning him. And he thinks there's a mole in his ranks. So he asks his servants, like, what's going on? Which one of you has turned on me? And he says, one of his servants said, no one, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. So the so when he was told Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant, the man of God, when the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha in this case, got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, "Oh my master, where, what are we to do? Oh my master, what are we to do?" Elisha said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Please strike the nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, according to Elisha's word. And it goes on. I encourage you to read more. Uh, For the sake of time, we're not going to jump in with what happened next. Spoiler alert. He does lead those. um, He does escape. He does lead the army away. And it, it was all a good ending. But you've got Elisha and his servant on one side, and you have the king of Aram, who's a bad guy, Hezael, on the other side with his chariots, with his horsemen. And here we have a story of him surrounding the city where Elisha and his servant is. He sends all of his henchmen, all of his chariots, all of his power to surround the city. And Elisha and his servant find themselves literally in a worst case scenario. It says in the story that Hezael sent a great army with many chariots and horses. This wasn't a small army. It was enough to surround the city. It was enough for them to see this this army from within the city. And it says that he sent a massive army, or some versions say a great army. And that word used for great or massive is a Greek word called kebed, which, which means its translation is heavy or burden. In other words, a heavy burden surrounded Elisha and his servant. And this can be a familiar scene to many of us in our lives, where it's sometimes, in the, in, as we heard last week, in the movie of our mind, as Nadia shared, of what happens in our thought life, thoughts start circling around in our heads, surround us on every side, surround our thoughts, surround our thinking, where we continually think and dwell on, as we saw in Colossians, the earthly things. And before long, we feel surrounded and we feel like the movie that we play in our mind becomes the story of our life. And not just in our thoughts, I believe this can be in real physical things as well. Some of us might be watching this and we might feel like we're surrounded in sickness or um, there's a situation going on, but it just feels like there's a heavy burden surrounding you. And I believe that this story gives us clues and nuggets to help us set our minds on things above. And we're going to be camping around verses 15 to 18. It's where it says this. And the first one we're going to look at is verse 15. It says, early in the morning, the servant of Elisha got up and went out. This is in the message now. It says, surprise, obviously. Horses and chariots were surrounding the city. The young man exclaimed, Oh, master, what shall we do? And this morning, the first point of this, if you feel surrounded, if you feel like your mind is full of junky, funky things, if you feel like there's a heavy burden surrounding you or closing in on you, this might sound super obvious, but I think we can take cues from this servant. And the first thing that we can do is we can turn to the master and we can ask that question, Oh, master, what shall we do? We cannot underestimate the simplicity of turning to God in prayer. And you get this beautiful picture of the servant coming out of his tent in the morning. He sees this massive army. And I don't know about you, but if it was me, my first response would be, I am getting out of Dodge. I'm, I don't know what I got to do. I got to find a sewer that I can go down in, get underneath the wall, 50 feet down the road, escape the army. Bob's your uncle. But no, the first thing he did is he turned around from looking at the army. He turned to Elisha and he said, Master, what shall we do? This is a great prayer to pray when you find yourself surrounded, uncertain, 
or anxious, sometimes the best prayer is one word, and it's this, help. The Bible says that God is faithful to hear our prayers. And when we find ourselves surrounded, when anxiety starts to come in at all sides, my best response usually is to turn to Jesus first. Not usually, always. I found this in all areas of my life, in business, in parenting, in my marriage, in my thought life, in any challenges that come up. He knows exactly what I need, when I need it, and how I need it. So the best thing to do is to turn to the master and say, what are we to do? What shall we do? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Elisha then goes further in the story in verse 16 and it says, so we, we turn, the first thing we can do is turn to the master and ask him for help. What shall we do? The next thing we find is Elisha responds. He says, don't worry about it. There are more on our side than their side. Then Elisha prayed, oh God, open his eyes and let him see. The eyes of the young man were, young man was open and he saw a wonder, the whole mountainside full of horses chariots, uh, full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. So after he turns to his master, after he turns and asks for help, the response that he has from that and his answer is that his eyes were open. There was a new way of seeing that came to him, a new way of thinking, a new fresh perspective, a wonder, the message says, the whole mountainside full of horses, horses, chariots surrounding Elisha. God is more than able to come to our aid. And I believe that he does this in so many ways. And sometimes the way in which he comes to our aid isn't that he just takes away the burden, although he does help carry those burdens. It's that he gives us a fresh perspective and a new way of thinking about those things. It's not that we ignore those problems. They're very real. Elisha never ignored the army in front of him. But his perspective changed. The way he saw changed. He set his mind on things above. And when we do that, when we look to the Father, he does that for us. He gives us a fresh perspective. He helps us see beyond the disappointment, beyond the offense, beyond the frustrations, beyond the hurt, beyond the worst case scenario. He knew the one who surrounded him was greater than any enemy that was surrounding the walls of the city at that time. And as a result, he got fresh perspective and he got a pretty crazy strategy as a result, straight from the throne room of heaven. Again, I encourage you to read what happened next. And I know there have been times in my life where it just felt like everything sucked all around me. There was a heavy burden that felt like it was coming in on me. We've all been there. And I have found time and time and time again that when I turn to God and keep the main thing as the main thing, he speaks he answers, and he makes a way. You see, Elisha showed the servant that when he asked for help, he showed the servant something of setting his mind on things above. That when worry surrounds you, you look up. That when doubt surrounds you, you look up. When sickness surrounds you, look up. When hopelessness surrounds you, you look up. When a worst-case scenario surrounds you, you look up. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and he causes us 
to see with a new, fresh perspective. You see, the army didn't change. What, what changed was what he focused on, what he fixated on. wasn't the problem, but he was looking at the Father. He was looking with heaven's perspective, with things that are above there's this phenomenon, I'm going to close with this, called target fixation. And, and a lot of us will know about this. We probably all do it. And I, I'm fascinated by it because I do it all the time. My wife loves to tell me. But it's called target fixation. And particularly happens when you're driving or, um, as I'm going to share in a second, when you're a toddler. I think this happens all the time. But the definition is, is it's an it's a is an attentional phenomenon observed in humans in which an individual becomes so focused on an object, be it a target or hazard, that they inadvertently increase the risk of colliding with the object. It's also called steering with your eyes, where you know what it's like, where you're, you're driving down the road, you see something, whether it's a crash, you know, you're rubbernecking, or whether there's a, a beautiful cow in the field, I guess. I like cows. You're looking over at the cow, and what tends to happen when as you look at that cow longer and longer, you start to steer towards it. And whoever's in the car shouts at you, says, get back on the road, and hopefully you've caught it in time before you took out a cow. My son does it when he's running. It's, he's a toddler, and he does it all the time. It, those of us with kids will know this. When there's a kid running, they tend to look everywhere but in front of them. And as parents, you know those times when they're in a field, they're running away from you. You can tell they're not looking at where they're going, and they're running right into a pole. And sure enough, while they're looking sideways at whatever's amazing taking up their attention, they run right into an object or a cow, if you're in that same field that I talked about earlier. But this can happen to us. We can be spiritual rubberneckers in a sense. And we have to be intentional with where we set our mind, where we set our focus, where we fixate our thoughts. And this morning, my encouragement to all of us is, is don't be a spiritual rubbernecker. Focus on Jesus. I know that I'm still learning. It's something that I know that as you do and as I do more and more, we get used to the first response not being, oh my goodness, run, but Father, what shall I do? As I read up on target fixation, it says, the best way to prevent target fixation is don't look where you don't want to go. Simply put, the best advice is to look where you do want to go. And so instead of fixating on the armies that surround the city, let's be a people. Let's be people who look to the Father, who fixate on Jesus rather than fixating on what's surrounding us. We are so glad you joined us today at Liberty City Podcast. Please check us out on social media and find an event to connect with us.